they obviously shot that video a couple weeks ago. VBS is this week, um, so don't be confused by that. Uh, that is a mission tr- group. That's about half of them, actually. That's coming up from Oklahoma City to help us with our VBS on Saturday. Our VBS is Thursday, Friday, and Saturday. And on Saturday, they're going to be here. They're going to teach the classes. They're going to do the crafts. They're going to provide all the volunteers. So we can just come, show up, enjoy ourselves, and meet people from the community. So, like I said, that's about half of them. So you are free to show up and you know for sure that you will not be put to work. Okay? You just come and enjoy it. Watch the kids uh, and meet people from the community. So you're all invited to come every day, Thursday, Friday, and Saturday, uh, just to sing along with us, uh, just to be here, uh, to have fun and take part. starts at 5.30, Thursday and Friday. Uh, a meal is served, and we go to 8. And then Saturday, it's 10 a.m. to 2 p.m. So I hope to see you all there. We can still use some decorations. And our decorations are going to be your camping supplies. Okay? So bring your tents, your sleeping bags, uh, your lanterns, whatever, you know, camping gear. You know what that is. If you have, you know, not a big bass boat, but maybe like a canoe that can fit in the building, we could probably use that too. Uh, so we're, we're excited about VBS. It's this week. Um, we're going to have a good time. Well, good morning, everyone. Uh, thank you, Jeff and Eric, for your thoughts today and your prayers. Thanks to Eric Gibney uh, for preaching for me last week. You always enjoy when, uh, when Eric and Rachel are among us. So my prayer already for our daughter, Liesl, is that someday, 16, 17 years, whenever she leaves home, maybe it's college, maybe she's drafted by the new Kansas City WNBA team, you know, whatever it is that she does after she leaves home, uh, my prayer for her is that she finds a good church family. Not... You know, a polished preacher or well-oiled programs uh, or, a, you know, a nice-looking building, but a good church family. And church families are harder to come by these days because our society likes individuals. That's the base unit of our society, the individual, not the family. We are a self-focused society, so... Our cameras are self-focused. Our phones are self-focused. We take selfies. Uh, our magazines are self-focused. Self-focused. There's a magazine called Self. Um, everything we purchase or participate in can be catered to the individual and their personality and their specific wants and needs. Just a few years ago, I think it was 2015, there was a 90-day window of time where 18,000 self-improvement books were published. Self-improvement books overflow library shelves. But where our society celebrates me, the individual, God celebrates us, the family. In fact, God values self 
denial and sacrificing for the needs of others. Our society values individuality. And so we wind up reading the Bible and doing other things, but reading the Bible with an individual lens. You know, seeing it through the individual's lens to suit me, the individual. We think of in terms of me, not us. And, you know, part of it is, is in the English language there's a word that's both singular and plural. The word you, Y-O-U, you. You know, I can talk to you individually or I can talk to you as a big group of people. Most of the you's in the Bible are the plural form of you. Okay? So, for example... Colossians 1, chapter 27, which says, To them God has chosen to make known among the Gentiles the glorious riches of this mystery, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. Christ in you, the hope of glory. Well, that means Christ in me, right? That makes sense to me, Christ in me. You is in plural there. So, when Paul here is saying Christ in you, he's saying Christ in you, all of God's people, the church. That's what makes us rich. That is the glorious riches of the mystery, that Christ is in you. Not you, but you. Now, that's a whole new ballgame if you read the Bible that way, right? If you'd like to follow along in your own Bibles, we're going to be in John chapter 13. Uh, John chapter 13, verses 34 through 35. It's important to know that when we get to these verses, uh, Jesus had just washed his disciples' feet. Okay? And uh, I remember a few months ago, our youth minister, Jeff Adair, had a sermon on how different these 12 disciples were from each other. We, we tend to think of them as similar, you know, 12 Jewish men in the first century, they had to be exactly the same, right? Well, no, they had different personalities. They even had different political views, different backgrounds. They were very different. They even argued with each other a lot of times about who was better than one another. So these are the, the, the 12 people that Jesus is talking to, these sort of ragtag guys. They still have their feet damp. When Jesus says this in John chapter 13, verses 34 through 35, he says, A new command I give you. Love one another. As I have loved you, so you must love one another. By this, all men will know that you are my disciples, if you love one another. What is it that will distinguish these disciples from their culture, from the world around them? It's not their polished preacher, their well-oiled programs, their nice-looking building. It's love. It's love. Now, all those things that I mentioned, they don't hurt. Nothing wrong with them. But what really makes us stick out is love for one another. Now, Jesus says this is a new command. Now, that's kind of strange because we can find love in the Old Testament, right? 
The greatest command in the Old Testament was to love the Lord thy God with all your heart, soul, and strength. The covenant God had with His people was called the covenant of love. So love is all over the place in the Old Testament. But Jesus says, this is a new command I give you. So what is new about this? Well, for one, you can see it introduces a horizontal element. Right? You have love with God vertically. Love the Lord thy God with all your heart, soul, and mind. Love one another is what Jesus says. Jesus says you cannot love God with all your heart, your soul, and your strength without loving one another. The horizontal element. And Jesus shows his disciples how it's done. So this morning I want to talk about three takeaways today about what is new about this command to love one another. The three takeaways are it's who we love, it's how we love, and it's when we love. That is what is new. Who we love, how we love, and it's when we love. So, it's who we love. Jesus commands us to love our neighbor. Basically, that means pretty much everybody we know, everybody we come into contact with, everybody that we're associated with, that's our neighbor. We're supposed to love them. Should become so ingrained inside of us that whenever people experience us, they experience love. And the world could use some of that, couldn't it? It could use some love. They could use some radical love of God. Now, the focus on self in our society does, you know, it has a few benefits, namely freedom. I like to do what I want to do when I want to do it, how I want to do it, with who I want to do it. I liked that freedom. Okay? But, the problem is, it leads to a bankruptcy when it comes to community, love, support, and encouragement. Galatians chapter 6, verse 10 says, As we have opportunity, let us do good to all people, especially to those who belong to the family of believers. We do love all people. Absolutely. But Paul says that we especially love our fellow Christians. Now, this might sound like we're trying to create some snobby, exclusive club, right? That's not what it's all about. It's about creating fresh air in a world that's full of pollution. So, when somebody who's sick and tired of how life is treating them experiences a Christian, experiences a church family, it should be like a breath of fresh air. When I was in high school, my brothers and I had the opportunity, the privilege, to work in the local iron foundry. Okay? And as you can imagine, it's very hot in an iron foundry where they melt down metal and they pour it into forms and creates cast iron. It's very hot in there. Now, even on a day where it's far from perfect, maybe on a day like today where it's hot, sticky, humid, not a good day, when you're working in that iron factory, 
and you step outside on your break, feels like a breath of fresh air. And that's what the world should encounter when they encounter us. Even though we are far from perfect. Christians are far from perfect. But we can still be that breath of fresh air when they step inside of us, when they encounter us, and they're looking for something different than what the world is giving them. So the church should be this counterculture where love is just the standard. That's the breath of fresh air. You know, it's why your best, your best friends should be Christians. Okay? You can be friends with anybody, but really your best friends should be Christians. Now all this, you know, it sounds great. Lovey-dovey stuff. Sounds really good. But all is not how it should be in the world, in the church, this side of heaven, right? We encounter problems, we encounter issues. Uh, you know, we're really threatened. This counterculture is threatened by a few things. One is we're a distracted people. We're busy. Our lives are so full that we don't have time to get to know each other like we really should. You can't love someone without being with them. That's still true. And that's why the church needs members and not just attenders. We don't need attenders. We need members. Did you know that the difference between an attender and a member is love? difference is love. Let me explain. For the attender, coming to church on Sunday mornings is enough. It's all you need. Be there on Sunday mornings, check it off the lists, and that's good. For the attender, the attender says, I'll come to Bible class if I like the teacher. Or I'll come to Bible class if I like the curriculum, if I like the subject matter. Or, I'll come to the fellowship meal if I like the menu. Or, I'll come to da-da-da-da-da if I like the da-da-da-da-da. Okay? For the attender, it's all about what's in it for me. For the member, it's, well, I'll go because so-and-so needs encouragement. I think I can be an encouragement to her. Well, I'll be there because it's good for Christians to be together and get to know one another and spend time together. So I'll go because my presence alone is a form of love and encouragement and support. That's a member. So distraction and also discouragement. Okay, maybe you have earnestly, sincerely tried church and plugged yourself in and tried to be the best, you know, church member you could be. But something happened and you got burnt. And you got scarred. Well, first of all, if that's you, I'm terribly sorry. I'm very sorry about that. But even though the church is made up of God's people, it doesn't mean 
we're perfect. We're still people. And so every once in a while, something's going to happen and you're going to end up with a bad experience. Even at church, among God's people. It's just the way of human relationships and investing in one another. Every once in a while, you might get hurt. You'll have a bad experience. People make mistakes. And it is unfortunate. Let me ask you a question. And you can raise your hand on this. How many of you have ever had a bad experience at a restaurant? Okay. Did you stop eating? (laughs) Probably not. If you're here today, you didn't stop eating. Okay. And if you care enough, and if you like that restaurant enough, you'll even go back to the same restaurant. Okay, Alicia and I, we like Longhorn Steakhouse. That's our go-to date night restaurant, Longhorn Steakhouse. Now, a few years ago, we went to Longhorn Steakhouse on a Sunday night. The next day was my first day of work at, at, at some place. Well, we were up all night with food poisoning. And since it was my first day of work, I had to go. We had a bad experience at Longhorn Steakhouse that day. But you know what? We still go. We are go to Longhorn Steakhouse still. Why? Because when it comes to food, we really like what they do. We really like what they're all about. So we keep going back. One bad experience didn't stop us from going. Now, unfortunately, I can't guarantee that you'll never have a bad experience at church. It's probably going to happen. Because we're a group of people, humans, that make mistakes. It's just the way it goes in human relationships. But you should care enough about the church and what it's all about that you keep coming back. And you make amends. And you work hard. You make it work. Because it's that important. And you should like it that much. And you should see your need of that that much. You should see the need for church that much. That even though you have a bad experience, say, man, I still need those people. I still need that church community. That's my family. And they need me, too. Okay, so I've talked enough about who... We love as the new command. What about how we love? Jesus' command to love one another is new because of how we love. Jesus said, As I have loved you, so you must love one another. Love is not, nor must it be accompanied by a sentimental feeling. It's about action. Love is about action. Jesus, he lowered himself down below his pay grade, down, you know, he stooped down beneath his social standing, his spiritual standing for sure, and he did something unpleasant, kind of dirty, right? He washed the disciples' feet. Now, do you think when Jesus was washing his disciples' feet, he was thinking, man, I love this. I've always wanted to wash y'all's feet. This is nice. No, that's not what he was thinking. It was unpleasant. 
He didn't like to do it. So love is selfless action that serves someone in spite of discomfort, pain, or humiliation. It's costly. Love is costly. It's doing things in spite of discomfort, pain, and humiliation. There's no what's-in-it-for-me attitude when it comes to love. So, 1 John chapter 3, verse 16 through 18, I think we have a slide for this, says, this is how we know what love is. Jesus Christ laid down his life for us. And we ought to lay down our lives for our brothers. If anyone has material possessions and sees his brother in need but has no pity on him, how can the love of God be in him? Dear children, let us not love with words or tongue, but with action and in truth. Finally, Jesus' command to love one another is new because of when we love. When you think about Jesus washing his disciples' feet, he did it when nobody else would. Okay, there would usually be a servant available around mealtime, and it was the servant's responsibility to wash everybody's feet as they come in from outside. People's feet got dirty, really dirty then. You know, they wore open-toed shoes and there was no sidewalks. They got really dirty feet. So that was the servant's responsibility. Well, apparently there was no servant at this meal that they were at. And all the disciples just said, well, I guess we're just going to have dirty feet hanging around, you know, indoors, eating with dirty feet. If their wives only knew. But... It's not appropriate for me to wash anybody's feet. I'm one of Jesus' disciples. And I'm better than these other guys, so maybe one of these other guys should wash my feet. See, when a servant was needed, and nobody else would, Jesus did. Church, many times loving is a lonely thing. You might be the only one to be doing it. Everybody else might think it's inappropriate for them to do it, and they're not willing to do it, but it's not inappropriate for you to do it. So when do we love? We love when there is a need for a servant, and when nobody else will. So church, this is a call for radical love. Not love that the world knows. Not love that our culture knows, which is all sentimental, uh, which is more romantic love. This is radical. The radical love of God. Sacrifice. Loving each other deeply from the heart. We love all people, but especially our fellow Christians in order to create a counterculture, a breath of fresh air. We love as Jesus loved, with action, not expecting anything in return. And we love when a servant is needed and nobody else is willing to do it. Now, if we want to make an impact here in Kansas City, we must move from being a group of individuals 
to a loving Christian family with members who love. It's what will distinguish us from the community around us. It's what I hope Liesl finds someday. It's what I know Heartland has shown itself to be. Don't get me wrong, we have room for improvement. But we have shown that we can do it. Love is how you become us. Remember, the Bible talks you in terms of you, not just you. Okay? So you need to maybe make a change. Start thinking in terms of you, not separated from your church family. Maybe have you been a self-focused attender and not a loving member? I have on the communication card on the back, you know, my next step today is one of them is to determine if you're a church attender or a church member. Think about that. Do you just attend church? Do you attend the things that you like? Or do you go to be an encouragement? Because you know that your presence alone, even that is love and encouragement. So, I encourage you to think about that today, this week, and maybe list down some ways that you can be more of a member and not just an attender. Maybe you're not a Christian today and you think, wow, I would really like to be a part of God's radical love. That's also on you to make that decision. If that's you, you do so by confessing Christ as Son of God and being baptized into His name. So whatever your need today, maybe you need prayers, maybe you need encouragement, maybe you want to be a Christian. You can make that need known. You can come to the front row as we sing our invitation song. Let's stand and sing.